we have to settle this in our hearts that in that pressure moment we need to do this in advance in that pressure moment will I do what Christ is calling me to do regardless of the repercussions later Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we are here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. And today's topic is preparing for persecution. It's going to be high octane on the warning side. It's going to be high octane on how to respond in faith. We are going to need greater faith, not only Uh, right now in terms of greater challenges we're facing as a nation. But we are going to need greater faith, I believe, in the future. And I am so excited today to have two uh, guests that I know have deep wells in this whole area. They also believe this is a now message for America. So we, we will be referring to the Bible. We will be referring to history. But we believe this is a now message that the body of Christ needs to be awakened to. The body of Christ needs to um, embrace, understand, and uh, and be practical in terms of uh, in terms of walking this out. And so, as typically in forerunners, we're trying to be a little bit ahead of the curve. I think we might be a little bit ahead of the curve on this topic. Um, regardless of that, this is super important, and I want to uh, welcome my guests. And first, I want to welcome John Gruders, the first time to Insights. And um, John, uh, thank you for. Um, for being here with us first, but I just want to say thank you, too, for writing, directing, and producing the films about Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go, but thank you for doing that. Um, I saw Sabina in the theaters, and um, and I didn't know what I was getting into. Some Christian friends invited me to a Christian movie, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And God had just prior to that been speaking to me about the importance of this message and being able to suffer for Christ, being able to um, uh, walk this out. And so, anyway, that movie really made a big difference. And of course, that led me to your other film, Tortured for Christ, which more highlighted uh, Richard Wormbrand. And so, both of them being uh, Romanians, a husband and wife. So, um, so John, thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining us. And I, I just want to ask you quick, um, how, uh, how did you kind of get interested in the Wormbrands or this whole idea of persecution in the first place? Well, it was a reference from Stephen and Amanda Sorensen, who are writers from Colorado, and we had produced a number of series uh, for Focus on the Family called That the World May Know with a guy named Ray Vanderlaan, and in that process have done about 70 half-hour episodes all through Israel, Greece, Egypt, the Sinai, all kinds of places. So I had a history of producing uh, a series, and Stephen and Amanda were the writers of the group study curriculum. So maybe six or seven years ago now, they had been um, engaged with another organization called The Voice of the Martyrs to do a study guide um, on persecuted Christians that were being uh, hunted down by ISIS in Iraq, in the former Nineveh, Mosul. And uh, this was all before I had any knowledge of this situation or subject. And so I got a call from the Voice of the Martyrs saying, we have had a crew over in Iraq. They did a bunch of filming, but um, we have nobody that, that can edit uh, this project together. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And they said, well, and the, the bad news is we need it in like six weeks. So they sent me 50, 60 hours of footage that somebody, I don't even know who, courageous filmmakers had gone to Iraq during the, the time when ISIS 
was marking on your house. They'd go through the neighborhoods and they would paint a large red N on the business or the home of any Nazrani, which is their term for Christian. And then later the military guys would come through and if there's an if you're marked, it's over for you. And they come at you and you have three choices. You can either A, pay the jizzy tax, which is something like $8,000 a week and nobody can conceivably afford it. You can convert to Islam or they'll kill you. <laughs> Those are your choices. Mm -hmm. Now, if you leave, if you walk out, if you'll leave right then, that was what was going on. And so they said, okay, let me get my car keys. No, you don't get your car keys. Okay, well, let me just pack a suitcase. No, you know, you want option three. Anyway, thousands and thousands of Christians were expelled from Mosul in this process. And this camera crew had gathered with these people along the trails and where they were settling. Where do you go? There were hundreds of thousands of displaced people. So that project, which became known as IMN, I am the letter N, I am Nasrani, and a campaign from the Voice of the Martyrs for us to unify with our brothers and sisters who were suffering in that way and wear wristbands or something with the N on it. That was my um, introduction. So we did that project and got introduced in that time to the Voice of the Martyrs. Um, we appreciated their ministry quite a bit and did a few other projects. And then what in about 2017, they were going to be celebrating the 50-year anniversary of Richard's book, Tortured for Christ, which came out in 1967. And at the time was the first accounting that I've been able to find. And again, if somebody can show me another one, I believe there could be. But the first one that I've heard of, which was a first-person account of what it was like inside a communist prison from one who miraculously survived. He wrote the book apparently in three days with a pencil, just poured out of him. He was never proud of it as a literary work, but it became an international bestseller. And you mean Tortured for Christ? Yeah, the book Tortured for Christ. So in honor of the 50-year anniversary of that book, The Voice of the Martyrs decided to maybe produce a docudrama of some kind. And we were invited to be one of the potential production companies to bid on the project. And we, we eagerly did so. I loved the book. And thankfully, we were awarded that job. And then I really didn't want to do a documentary. I really wanted to do a drama. So I just made it into more, a, a dramatic film. And that was an incredible opportunity to do Tortured for Christ, tell Richard's story, shoot it in the very prisons where he was held, shoot it in the land where he lived, met some terrific actors and crew. That movie came out that year, 2017. And, uh, and then a couple of years later, basically, I wrote what I would consider the prequel. And I felt it was important to do the prequel called Sabina because I did not know how anybody got to be such a high level a Christian as Richard and Sabina because that movie starts and they're already being persecuted. Richard, the very first scene, he's upside down, his feet are being beaten. If you can love your enemies, I think you're at the highest grade of the Christian faith. And I wondered, how did they get there? Like, seriously, are they the same as me? Are they flesh and blood like me? Or, or were they born of virgins? Are they somehow in the <laughs> same category as, uh, you know, John the Baptist maybe? Or, or, or Anyway, of course they weren't. And so Sabina takes us back to the beginning, and you find out they're very much like all of us, very hedonistic. They were atheists, committed atheists. Richard was even a communist for a time. And it took a process of them coming to know the Lord, falling in love with each other, so anyway, the second movie was actually the prequel, but now um, we've done a number of other projects with The Voice of the Martyrs, which has opened my mind to the very topic that we're discussing today, which is worldwide persecution of the Christian church. Yeah, and we're going to focus on the worldwide 
persecution of the Christian church, especially what we see coming here in America and why we have to learn lessons right now from the international church. Um, But I just want to dial back a little bit. Um, John, when you talked about uh, Richard and Sabina, Sabina loving their enemies, that was one of the biggest things that stuck out to me, um, both first watching Sabina, the movie, and then seeing after that, Tortured for Christ. So I actually got it in the right order that you wanted yeah, it, exactly. the prequel first. <laughs> <laughs> you did. And and get that under the belt, and then I went and watched Tortured for Christ. But um, uh, I just want to highlight uh, that it is stunning to see what the, the worm brands were going through and how Richard kept going back to how much he loved the Russians, how much he loved the Soviets, and how badly he wanted to get the gospel to them. And he did. He did this even before he ended up in, in, the prison, in prison and tortured. He was absolutely risking his life uh, and uh, seeking out lost Russians. And it's, you do such a great job in the movie Tortured for Christ, showing that whole scene with the watches and all that kind of thing. Just awesome. But I just want to highlight, I agree with you in that love, love compels, love can take us further. And love was at the heart of the of the Richard and Sabina story and so forth. Well, we're going to, we got a lot to go here. We'll kind of circle back, but I got to introduce, or I should say reintroduce our other guest, and that's Gary Crawford. Thank you for being back with us once again, Gary. Thank you for having me. And um, Gary uh, is one of our listeners' favorites. And so I'm really glad that you're with us again, Gary, and bringing your. Uh, scriptural uh, perspective, but also just you got the now message. I mean, when I think of now message in America or the world, I, you're the first person I want to talk to. So thank you again for being here. I want to ask you, though, the same question. Like, none of us are are like especially drawn to suffer or, or to experience persecution, but what was it for you that's brought you to a place now where you're like saying, yeah, we do need to talk into this? Well, for me, the, the Lord spoke to me about some stuff, but for me, basically, it was the concept of discerning the times. In other words, we know that God will judge the nations. God will judge. There's even a judgment seat of Christ, uh, which involves believers. And judgment comes from God. Persecution, in my opinion, comes from man. And first of all, it's understanding the times we live in. Um, when I mentioned a few minutes ago that um, the worm brace got caught in the vortex, there's there's been a lot going on last century as Israel was reborn. And we tend to look at life in the context of what we're living right now instead of what God's doing in the world. And adjusting your life and understanding what's coming and understanding that we are moving from the time, the end of the church age into the time of Jacob's troubles, as God regathers Israel, we begin to understand why persecution. Now you can look into Revelation and see then he went after, you know, first of all, he went after the Jews. Then he goes after those who have the testimony for Christ. Some will be given over to the sword. Some will be yada, yada, yada. You're going to see us a movement that will eventually lead to persecution. Nobody's out on the street looking for it. But the issue for me was, is I had to abandon my thinking that things are, would get better, or in America's case, which is a very arrogant nation, we don't deserve this, or we don't think it's going to happen to us. And uh, like I said, one of the things that awakened me to a little bit was Corey Tim Boob's letter in 74 that was to the Western Hemisphere. He said, that she said, it's begun. Um, that what God is doing in the assemblage of the Jews, um, the, Ali, the great Aliyah, he's whistling for them for the four quarters of the earth. That will bring persecution because the enemy knows his time is short. 
that as he sees this movement, he's going to do everything in his power to disrupt it. And in certain cases, God hand, God hand, God's hand will withhold it. But when he chooses not to withhold it, he basically unleashes the sinfulness of man to persecute one another. You get atrocities and all kinds of things that go along with persecution. And we tend to complain about what we see, but we don't recognize the times we're living in. And you have to abandon yourself. Um, you have to abandon yourself that there is a time of darkness that will cover the earth that God is permitting for his glory in the return of the sun. That's an entry-level thing into understanding that I possibly could be martyred. I possibly need to think differently about my life. And um, that's scriptural. You could, the judgment of the nations and the, the judgment of God is biblical. I mean, you don't have to go very far to look for scriptures to support that. So, John, we're going to get back to here in a second, but I just want to um, go a little bit further here with a couple of these things, Gary. First off, what you're saying, Gary, that God's, um, the evil's escalating, God's allowing this evil, the persecution to go for forward, that as Christians, we want to first make sure we're under the protection of Christ, we're completely surrendered to him. But that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. I mean, it's obvious what we've already talked about here in the first few minutes of this podcast that the most godly people, and we see this in the scriptures as well, often suffered. Okay, so you, but we want to be underneath the lordship of Christ, and then also we want to be uh, growing in, embracing this mindset, and so forth. Um, so those are just just very uh, brief, concise, concise takeaways here today. But um, but Gary, if you would read, actually, we'll put up on the screen for those that are getting this at YouTube. Um, but if you would actually read some of that Corey Ten, Ten Boom quote, um, she, I think our listeners are probably familiar with her from The Hiding Place and so forth, and you can even watch her be interviewed um, on YouTube. Uh, there's some good clips of her on YouTube. But, but anyway, um, she was uh, also uh, suffered greatly in Nazi prison camps. Um, so before the Soviet era got into Eastern Europe and all this kind of stuff after World War II, uh, then she's suffering. But Gary, if you would, uh, with her sister, actually, and it's just uh, obviously another amazing story. Um, but Gary, if you could uh, share that with us. I'm going to read just an excerpt of this letter, but it says, there are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to escape all this. There are some of the false teachers that Jesus was warning to us about in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. That's a, that's a big footnote. They have little knowledge of what's going on in the world. We make it about America. And we don't even see what he's doing in the world. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you'll be translated rapture. Then there came a persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes to stand and not faint. I feel I have a divine mandate to, to, to go and to tell the people of this world that it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ, to John's point, love. We are in training for the tribulation, but more than 60% of the body of Christ around the world has already entered the tribulation. There is no way to escape it. We are next. And she just does a very good way of exhorting. Uh, she wrote this letter in 1974, and she had a great perspective that the church is 
not understanding the season of transition that we're in as the church age comes to an end. And the word brands were excellent examples of, I hate to use this term, but they were basically learning as they go about how to deal with persecution and love their enemies. It's an excellent example for us. And I, I agree with John. I'm not at that level yet. I mean, if somebody's torturing your loved one or you and something like learning to love your enemies, the one last thing, and I'll be quiet, but when COVID came in March of 2020, I said, Lord, what do we do with this? Do not draw the sword like Peter did, because Peter didn't know there was a transition going on to the kingdom that was about to be announced. And so Jesus heals his enemy, puts his ear back on, then he turns to Judas, his enemy, and he said, this is your hour. Do what you must do. He did not rebuke Satan. He did not get upset with everybody and blow him away. He acknowledged the fact that his father was ultimately in charge, but we were entering a new season of the kingdom, and we are about to enter a different season. The message hasn't changed, but we're about to enter a different season of the kingdom when the Jews are going to be regrafted in, and there's other stories there. I'll just end with that. So, Gary, I think one thing I want to highlight, although we've already had so many, just in this brief opener here, we've already had so many takeaways and stuff, but just to to underscore that whether it's Corey Tenboom or others, and we're probably going to get to some others here later in the podcast, but people have been saying, America, wake up, or to the whole world, wake up. This is where the train is heading. And the more the years clip by here in America, I think that's actually accurate. In fact, that's one reason I'm, we're doing this podcast today. But, but I mean, Corey Tenboom is is trying to get our attention. 1974, and many other voices since then. Let's let's wake up, actually, and let's actually uh, give this topic of suffer, suffering and persecution the attention that it needs. Um, so, okay, kind of taking a, a little bit of a, a turn here, John. Um, you've you've got a powerful website. And um, sobering, but one of my greatest encouragements online, at least <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, has been going to your website. So we have johngruders.com, or no, yes, .com, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. You've got trailers there for the films that you've made. And I want to dial in at least briefly here on, on something that I was not aware of um, that you've got there at your website. Please talk about this guy. Am I pronouncing his uh, name right? Sang Chu? Chul? Oh, yeah. Song Chul from North Korea. Right. Yeah. So share a little bit about his story with us, um, you know, why you did that that film, uh, please. Well, it's absolutely stunning what is happening, you know, in communist countries to Christians. And we kind of might know it intellectually, but because it's like you keep saying the word now, this is a now story. And I'm a very patriotic American, but as a member of the body of Christ, if we're going to take Paul seriously, the hand doesn't suffer and the foot not care about it. You know, the eye doesn't say the ear, I don't need you. So if one part of the body is suffering, we are suffering. And that's not just an intellectual thing, but, but in North Korea, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted so mercilessly, it's hard to overestimate. Um, for example, you know, anybody that's in a Christian, you know, that's been caught in any way, it was going to be put into a concentration camp. In those concentration camps, from what I've been told, I've been there, they're not even allowed to speak to one another. Like it's just complete isolation and brutality from what I've heard. And I've heard this from people working in the borders, working in the situations firsthand. It's so bad 
that this was an interesting story, and then I'll tell you about Song Chul, that at the borderline, you know, if you would be caught smuggling in a Bible, right? You're not allowed to have a Bible in North Korea. You're not even allowed to look at a Bible. You're not even allowed to let your eyes fall onto the exterior of a Bible. <laughs> this puts the, go- the border guards in an awkward situation. <laughs> if Gary here is smuggling Bibles into North Korea in his backpack and he's crossing the border and the border guard opens his backpack and sees the Bibles, they're going to both be in trouble. Interestingly, because Gary's the smuggler, but the border guard has now observed a Bible. I'm just saying it is a powerful, powerful lockdown on Christians. Um, the story of Song Chul is other thing that they deal with in communist countries is abject poverty. Um, the rich get filthy rich and everybody else suffers. So in North Korea, to feed your family is impossible. And so this one man starts to sneak into the borderline mountains that lie between North Korea and China. Uh, and he goes up there literally just to to, to to harvest wild mushrooms and maybe be able to find some way to sell those in China and make you know a quarter that he can buy food for his family. In those mountains roams this amazing pastor. His name is Han. Han risks his life to go into those mountains knowing that that's where people like Song Shul are going to wander. Now, they both are very wary of each other. Both know that if the other is in any way an informant, they're, they're both dead. So there's a very cautious wariness as they get to know each other. But this story proceeds. Han meets Song Chul, offers to sell his mushrooms in the Chinese market. He speaks the language. Song Chul really doesn't have much choice, so he, he does it. But Han is totally fair, gives him the money. Over a couple of years, this relationship matures until Han ultimately offers Song Chul a little portion of a Bible. His his North Korean wife is furious. If you're caught with this, you know what will happen. Um, so the, in North Korea, the Bible does find its way. People do get a hold of the Word of God, and they risk, they they take great risks to read it or to share it with their friends. Uh, Han was then uh, murdered by uh, people, Chinese uh, communist people, and they found his body. And Sang Chul heard about this that this man, this one man that he had trusted had died. And we did this short film on Song Chul to reveal the incredible story is after the murder, the the attitude, the heart of him is that Lord would give us the strength to have the courage that Han had to live out the faith like he did. Rather than run away, they they just embraced his 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 message. And when they've come to know Christ and learned to to serve the kingdom I don't know what has happened to Song Chul in the long run. At the time of the filming and his story, he had was still surviving undercover. Of course, we didn't shoot that film in North Korea. Of course, we shot the film with actors, but the story is true. Hmm. Wow, that is powerful. And what year was that that Han, who witnessed to Song Chul, actually passed away? Uh, okay. uh, I, I, should, I should say I should I should say died. Yeah, yeah, he died. He was martyred. Um, okay, I may get this wrong, but I think it was around 2015, 2015 or 16. Mm-hmm. It's in that, in that realm. Right. And, you know, I think we need to talk about this, obviously, but understand as American Christians that um, this stuff is happening in a variety of countries right now today. And um, the, um, I, I, well, let me just say this. I have a friend who um, uh, grew up in India and uh, came, grew up in a Christian family and stuff. Parents persecuted. He now um, is around my age, and he uh, he ministers a lot in India, but also lives here in the U.S. And this stuff is going on around the world, 
And to look at uh, America's trajectory, and then also what you said a, a few minutes ago, Gary, that we would think that can't happen to us. It is arrogant in this whole like mindset of, well, but we'll just be raptured out of here before um, anything really difficult happens. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but anything real difficult happens. Well, then what do you do with these stories like Sang Chul in North Korea or Han in China or my friend in India or the Wormbrands? This is happening right now. And uh, and we don't want to get caught up in some, I want to call it anti-biblical American mindset, a version of Christianity that is not found in the Bible, so it's not really Christianity. We don't want to get caught up in this. This is the kind of thing that um, I believe American Christians need to be uh, paying attention to right now and lear learning from. So, Gary, you've said that what America's facing, we're not going to get out of it. So if you can... Uh, I know you could talk for a couple hours on this, but if you could be concise. And so what is America facing, in your opinion, and, and why won't we get out of it? Well, first of all, I think to Corey's point, it's already begun, and it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's not an American phenomenon. As she said, 60% of the Christians are already in persecution around the world. The United States seems to think that somehow we're bulletproof on this, and that's having... You know, I'm, I'm an American and I love the United States, but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God first and America second. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching what the kingdom of God is doing, not what just America is. America is a bloody mess. We've left our foundations and we could go on about that for hours. And we deserve judgment, to be honest with you. Matter of fact, the fact that God hasn't brought it so far is frankly bloody amazing. Um, but we, we aren't going to... Uh, you're not going to thwart what God has written in his scriptures from the foundation of the world that's going to happen. And Americans treat it like they can somehow take a bypass or off-ramp to what's going on in the world because we're America. That's just ridiculous. And so they live in a world that, and frankly, the churches mess this up, that they prophesy, they say things. You've got to test what's even being prophesied and taught against what the scripture is saying. And so you know, there's a reason why these people, uh, to John's comment, why they want the Bible. The Word of God is like a lamp to your feet. And so they want the Bible because they want to understand what's going on in the world. It gives you perspective to face every day that may or may not bring persecution and to take risks of your life, if it needs to be, for the purposes that God shows you. Now, the wonderful thing is, is if you're born again, you've got the Holy Spirit. You have a well within you that you can draw out of. And if you read the Word of God, which you should be doing every day right now, you'll have a sense of what's going on in the world, a perspective that will give you courage, it will embolden your faith, it will cause you to, no matter what the level of faith you have, I don't believe faith is quantitative, it's qualitative. Big faith, little faith is how well you're focused on what Christ has given you to do what he's assigned you to do. And that's why I think you need to develop, I love David, or uh, John Melendez thinks, an altar of prayer in your house, first and foremost. You need to begin to find a place where you have be time alone with God, talk to him by the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says, read your word, ask him if you don't understand anything, and find believers that you can collaborate with. I mean, Scripture says, do not forsake the gathering together, stir each other up to what? Love and good works as you see the day approaching. I mean, in other words, this is not a passive bunker mentality situation. The Warren brands were very active in displaying the love of God, even to their Russian captors 
and others, which was a testimony to us. They lived it. Um, so did Corey, but and others. But America is not going to dodge this bullet. I don't know why we think we are. I, I don't know if we made some of our political leaders the Messiah or something, but um, I mean, I will honestly say, I don't think we're going to make America great again. America is going to fulfill its destiny, but I, they have no idea what's ahead. So, so um, Carrie, there certainly is that crowd that have made political figures into uh, saviors and all that kind of stuff, completely off base. Uh, we've talked about that on this podcast as well before and so forth. But I think there's a whole another group, and it's just simply not so much that they're dialed in politically, but it's just that we've always had it easy in America. Why is it going to change? And oh, by the way, God loves us. So if God loves us, well, of course he wouldn't allow that to happen here. But again, God does love us, but he loves the Christians in China and North Korea as well. He loved the Ooh. word brands. Yeah. So we have got to recalibrate our thinking that way. And I just want to um, secondarily um, mention, too, I think, Gary, why we don't get out of this. I know that there is the global thing that Corey Ten Boom uh, was way, raising awareness to. There's also all the things connected to the end times, of course. Uh, um, I believe that, um, and I believe it is getting closer. Um, but I just want to say, um, if you look at America and how we have rebelled against God um, everywhere, and that God treats nations, now we've talked about this in other podcasts too, God treats nations that behave like America's behaving right now. He removes his hand of production. He removes his hand of blessing. In fact, at some point, God himself steps in. And as Jonathan Kahn talks about, God himself sends shakings. And I would say some of what America has experienced in the last few decades are not just God removing his hand of blessing and protection. They're actually God himself sending shakings to try to wake us up and so forth and repent. And so I just want to say I would also emphasize that as why we're not getting out of this. America has not repented. America continues to fall away. That means there's implications, there's ramifications, and we are seeing that. And one of those is um, that if you're going to stand for Christ in the future in, um, in America, you will pay a greater price, and I believe increasingly so. Okay, so we're, we're facing serious things in America, at least— um, uh, Gary and I don't know where you land on this, John, but at least Gary and I believe that we're not getting out of this. The greater difficulty is ahead. But nevertheless, um, John, I want you to dial us back in here with uh, Richard and Sabina and help us like understand, as Christians in America right now, what helped them? You already mentioned love, but there could be other things. But like, what, what helped them to be under brutal conditions and to persevere? Hmm. Well, I can certainly speak to, to some things that they wrote down, one of which um, I put in the movie, well, I put actually in both movies. Um, Richard, in his books, references having researched the Bible and claims to have come up with 365 verses in the Bible which encourage us not to fear. And even as we say things like, we're not going to get out of this, which I think I agree with, even as we say things like, persecution is coming, true, um, it doesn't mean we're supposed to get fearful and defeated and scared. I, I mm. was doing this little, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then doesn't A equals C? And so this, this isn't Richard, but I think he might have gone to some of these places. So this morning I was looking, so in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
It seems pretty clear mm-hmm. to me. All who want to live in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted. So I say all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and blessed are those who are persecuted. So if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be blessed. That's not health, wealth, gospel. That's going to come maybe through pain and persecution. But do we trust God or not? No, I do not want to be locked in a little cage and set on fire alive. I do not want to make light of the suffering of the saints. But um, at the same time, I think what Richard did was he locked into the promises of the Word of God. And he memorized three. He was now uh, Richard was smarter than me, um, maybe smarter than you, Dave, and conceivably as smart as you. I don't know. But Richard was brilliant had a photographic memory, spoke 14 languages, so his capacity to memorize the Bible, but look how God used it. When, the, when he was captured by the communists and he was being whisked off the streets of Bucharest to brought to prison, and they put a, a hood over his head and, and, and he asked out loud, what day is it? And they met, mocked him. And he asked him, what, what, what is, he, you know, he's brilliant, but he doesn't know the day. That's you know, kind of typical genius. Finally, one of them says, it's February 29th. Oh, it's a leap year. And Richard even has a verse for a leap year day. And he, mm. he rests into his mind uh, into that verse. So that was in the movie Tortured when he's rested by the communists. So in Sabina, which again is the prequel to, prequel to, the, to the film, I wanted to show how that began. And as the Nazis are beginning to close in uh, and Hitler's armies are closing in, and Sabina says, I'm scared. Are you, are you afraid? She says, I'm a little bit afraid. And Richard doesn't turn and console her. He doesn't pat her on the back and say, it's going to be okay. He doesn't say, we're going to be raptured out before the... He starts to go through his little index cards that he's been writing these scriptures down. Do not be afraid, for I will be with you. Lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. If a sparrow falls in the field, you know, doesn't the father... And she says, read me some more. To me, the way Richard prepared for what he said... And he he looks out the window and he says... If they're coming, they're coming. Let's not look at them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you imagine if a mob is walking down your street, I don't, whatever angry Antifa, I have not gotten yet to the place where I think of them as a mission. I'm still saying, you know, resist. And we are to be kingdom bringers. And the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of violence and, and, and evil. It's a kingdom of justice. And, and so I'm not saying we should be you know, put our heads in the sand and wait until they kick us in the butt. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, that, to answer your question, Dave, the way I think one of the ways Richard and Sabina began to accept that this was what was coming, instead of responding in fear, they started to strategize. How do we minister to this situation that is beyond our control and, and in, inevitable in some ways? So um, it's interesting to me. I mean, this whole story is amazing. Maybe I should just just cut to the chase and say, everyone, if you haven't seen Sabina and Tortured for Christ, watch them now. And Tortured for Christ is on YouTube. Uh, Is is Sabina also? I know you can see it um, at sabinamovie.com, which is Voice of the Martyrs site. So if you go to sabinamovie.com, at least last time I was there, they asked for your email. But if you give them that, they stream you the movie for free. But it's in a lot of other places as well. sabinamovie.com. So back to um, the point that I want to make is that in in Torture for Christ, in both the book and the movie, of course, but um, uh, there's this powerful scene, and I think this is a now message for America, because um, 
what I'm getting at here is if you see trouble coming, if you see even persecution coming, do you now hide all the more? Like, I'm going to be under the radar. The answer, if you look at the Wormbrands, you look at the people that suffer persecution in the Bible, you look everywhere, the answer is no. Oh, yeah. Do not hide now. You respond in faith, and you represent Christ, and you do that to the end, period. And what I'm trying to get to is that they had a thing, uh, I think it was in 1947, that Richard and Sabina went to called the Congress of the Cults. And we would call it, we wouldn't use the word cults today, that's probably a poor translation. We would just call it a Congress of Religious Leaders. So they had many, many Christians, pastors there. But if you were Muslim or anything else, you were invited to this, and it was all about handing the church over to Stalin, to the communist regime. And all these pastors are standing up and saying, oh yeah, you can... Um, we can do both, and we can embrace Stalin and communism. We can still be the church and Christians, all this kind of stuff. And Sabina leans over to Richard and says, wipe this shame off of the face of Christ. All these, all these pastors are caving in. They're not doing what God's called them to do. And I, I can't get into this, but I just want to say to everybody listening to this, God calls us all the time to be salt and light. And just because things get bad, that doesn't stop. Salt of the earth, light of the world, whether it's relatively easy times or it's under severe times like they were. Well, anyway, Richard turns to Sabina and says, you know, if I get up and speak, as one of the pastors, many of the other pastors that had already spoken, if I get up and speak, you will not have a husband anymore. And she says to him, I do not need a coward for a husband. So he gets the attention of the people on the platform. They invite him up, and he tells them about how we need to follow Christ and not any human leaders or Stalin or whoever. And it's because of that incident that when he gets captured, the first thing um, the I forget the official at the prison says um, is that that was quite a speech you gave in 1947. And so this is now happening a little bit later and they know, they remember, that's why, he, that's why he's there. It's because of how he was a dissident in that country. My point is this, is that um, we, like Richard, cannot dial down now because of danger that might be ahead. We have to settle this in our hearts, that in that pressure moment, we need to do this in advance, in that pressure moment, Will I do what Christ is calling me to do, regardless of the repercussions later? That that's beautifully said and quoted very accurately. By the way, well done. Um, that's that Congress of the Cults was put together by the communist leaders to sort of feign the cooperation that they were going to have and try to win over the placid cooperation of the churches. Even the salaries of the ministers will be raised, and everyone's going along with it except Richard and Sabina. And it's being the, the crazy thing was that was being broadcast live to the whole nation. So people listening to it on the radios, we even in the movie put it on a loudspeaker in the street. So when Richard gets up and starts taking that off script, you might say, you know, the radio broadcast is cut and the the patriotic music of the communists starts to play. And you're right, he set his his story. Uh, he, he set the direction of his story, which was ultimately going to be 14 years in communist prisons and a communist prison isn't just you're now isolated from society to protect society. That's what kind of American prisons are sort of philosophically about. But in communist prison, they're there to re-educate you. How do you get re-educated? They torture you. And so it was not just a prison cell as bad as that would be. It was a prison cell with brutal, physical, satanic, grotesque tortures. And he endures this along with other saints of God for 14 years because of his boldness. And so, you know, it says in Timothy... 
If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. And even if we are faithful, he remains, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. So this idea of preparing ourselves, yes, of course, um, none of us want to face any sort of physical torture. I don't know anybody tough enough that says, hey, I bring, I mean, if they're serious, if they've seriously seen it. At the same mm-hmm. time, we can decide, no, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to live. I will not deny him. I do not want him to deny me. Um, and I'm going to also say, even if the persecution comes, if we endure, I mean, you quoted Revelation earlier, Gary. I mean, in Revelation 20, I mean, the, those who are beheaded for Christ reign a thousand years next to him. There's, we have to decide, do we believe in the promises or not? Is this just a social gospel? And when it makes sense to get me more money or a better marriage, then we buy it. But if, Or do we really believe that we are talking about an eternity with God? And this is a testing ground. This is a time where the wheat and the tares grow next to each other. But one day they will be harvested, separated, and the, and the tares will be burned, and the wheat will be harvested and brought into the Lord. Richard and Sabina understood that. And then... They, were, they could be of some use to the kingdom. They did not live useless lives. You know, they might have been able to survive had they hid. We would not be talking about them today, not that that matters so much, but they brought the light into the darkness in incredibly inspiring ways, and we can learn from them and all the others whose stories are, are myriad. So it's helped me learning about the worm brands and others that have suffered for Christ, like Sang Chul and others, But these people, they did see it as a spiritual battle. And I just want to make that clear. Like, we think we're getting caught up in some political thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, And actually, after Richard and Sabina migrated uh, to the U.S., after all this imprisonment and torture and stuff, Richard actually said that American Christians are not seeing this for what it is as the spiritual battle. He actually said they are dismissing it as just some political thing, meaning we don't want to get involved with Soviet Russian politics and whatever they're doing in X, Y, and Z country that they've taken over. We just want to stay here. And, And Richard is very clear. I forget the name of his book, but he talks about how communism is rooted in Satanism. He is not bashful about this. This is actually anti-Christ, and that we should see these things for what they are. They are not just somehow, I don't know, political maneuvering or whatever. They are truly, uh, from Richard's viewpoint, they are absolutely uh, centrally either about Christ or anti-Christ. So with that said, um, any other like scriptures that can help us as we navigate this now and in the days ahead. And when I say now, I actually believe that if the body of Christ was speaking out the truth on biblical topics more than it is, I actually believe we would be getting more pushback. Now, I think it might be a stretch to say we'd be like persecuted tomorrow or something like that in the sense of the biblical persecution that we read. I don't think that's that's the case, but because we're already having a a cowardly posture, a hiding posture, etc., um, that I don't think we're getting, even getting pushback like we should as the body of Christ. So, with that said, um, maybe we want to be a bit more forthright I, uh, about our faith and so forth. So, what can help us right now? Well, like what scriptures ha- uh, are speaking to you guys? Well, I mean, I bet you we have a lot <laughs> to say to that, and. <laughs> I mean, you just, you, you had a mouthful there. Uh, one of the things, one of the books that Richard wrote to your first point was a book called Marx and Satan. It's a very small, skinny little book. And, and 
I had never thought of the conflicts that we're talking about in that way. And it made, it really helped me understand because I'm a logical person. If, if a movement comes about that's destructive, how can this movement be helpful? Look at Venezuela, look at Vietnam, look at North Korea, look at China, look at Eastern Germany. I mean, how can anybody say, oh, that was a good idea. Let's do that again. Logically, I don't get it. At the same time, it just, it just blitzkrieg over people of faith. And it just, like you said earlier, murders millions. That How many people died under Pol Pot? How many people died under Mao? How many people died under Stalin? And don't forget, and don't forget the Muslim world. Well, There's a lot of people that are dying right in that now. Realm as Iran well. right now is persecuting people like crazy. I'd have friends in Pakistan. I know what's going on in Afghanistan. But here's the thing: none of this ever like this just doesn't make sense to me. Well, Satan isn't trying to make sense. He's just trying to destroy. He's just trying to bring chaos. Or in Hebrew, tohu vavohu. Oh, this isn't something that we're going to logic out. This is a cosmic battle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood with principalities and powers of this present age. So when you see things happening that seem to make no sense, they don't make sense. When you think this is ridiculous, it is ridiculous because it's being driven by a force that's so antithetical to the shalom and peace and order of God. To me, that makes sense. Um, and so I agreed with you when you were talking about Marx and Satan. And, you know, and scripturally, if Jesus... You know, we call him Lord, not just, he's not just our, our, our meal ticket. He's not just our Savior. It's, it's great that he's our Savior. Believe me, that's it's very important. But, mm-hmm. but to, to consider that he came in a time of rabbi and Talmudim, when the, when the way it happened in the Galilee in the first century was that the Talmudim or the disciples, they didn't just go to school, take notes, and pass a test from their rabbi. They walked day and night. They lived. They ate. They traveled. They did everything with their rabbi in order that they might become like their rabbi in all ways. That's a high uh, price. We wouldn't want to even do that with the pastors of our church. But the rabbinic method. So if our goal as disciples of Christ is to walk with him so closely, to read and learn and be with and experience that we become like him, then when they say in John 15, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Well, doesn't that make sense? Because we're going to walk into his walk. And we're going to also then be raised with him. So, the, the, like you said, the scriptures are full of, of assurances. Yeah, there's going to be persecution. Will it be like in North Korea where we're thrown in concentration camps and live the rest of our lives as mutes? Or will it be in this sort of rising tide of opposition as we might feel in our, in our cities or our counties or our nation? Yes, 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 and yes. But um, the message through all that, a biblical message, like I said before, is meant that is your calling to be like your rabbi, and that is worth it. It's worth it for a long, long, long time. And it's going to even somehow, Richard says in America, you brought up when he's in America, how could he long for his time in prison? How does that make any sense at all? He was, I mean, we could go into the details of what he endured, but what he had in prison was a fellowship of the brothers that saw the hand of God working miraculously constantly. They were walking closely with the Lord. When Richard was thrown into a, where you're going to die, a place called Room 4, you're set to Room 4 and Cluj at the time, you've got less than two weeks to live. It's the last nobody, stop. Nobody had, ever, nobody had ever survived nobody Room 4. Nobody survived they, Room 4. Richard, you get, you're, you're, you're going to live within two weeks. Not only did Richard live for two years and walked out of there, in that room, he says, many men entered as atheists, not one died as one. He had this opportunity to step with people 
through the final breath of life, many of them, and bring the presence of God to them. So what will the rewards be as we talk about persecution? I have no idea. And I don't want to say that the pain doesn't hurt. The pain will hurt. I don't think you go numb on the cross. I don't think Jesus was numb on the cross. But uh, rather than focus on the fear of all that, if we can join the spirit of Richard and Sabina and say, man, this might be the mission for such a time as this. God called me to my school board or to my church that's moving in one direction or even the difficult. I I don't know what it would be, but man, whatever it is, if through the scriptures and through your, your altar that you mentioned, I love that, Gary, you have to have an altar of prayer in your house. Yes, do not be frightened into being the one who denies him. That would be what I would hope and pray for all of us. Good word. Um, yeah, G- Gary, any um, scripture or anything you want to respond to? I guess the only thing I would say is I, I, I hope people are hearing what we're saying about where the world is, how it's moving to the culmination of things, the return of Christ. And then they would say, it's like what they asked John the Baptist. He's preaching the kingdom, and then the soldiers, the people there said, then what must we do? And this is where I find that there's a great disconnect in the church and the church leadership, that people don't know how to respond to what we're telling them is going to happen. And so one of the things that we've tried to do, because we know this is going to be an area of refuge down here, but how do we begin to implement? Because it's not just arrogantly marching with signs on the street and doing this. If you watch Daniel's behavior, it said he was humble. He asked God how to respond. We bring divine solutions in these situations. And I think there was a couple, you know, forgive me because I it's been three years since I read the book, but Richard brought divine solutions into situations inside the prison that perplexed the people who were trying to persecute him. And once we begin to display the power in the kingdom of God, but you can't do this recklessly, and I so admire Daniel, that there's certain things he went along with in that society, and there's certain things he says, we can't do that. We can't eat this food, but let us do this for 21 days and see if we're not better shaped than you are. In other words, he let God set up examples for God to be God, and God loves to show off who he is. And so, but there's a lack of practical teaching of that in the church. And so we spend a lot of time teaching people, don't speak Christianese when you're going into places. Love people. Look to them and see where their needs are. Let God come into the situation and give you divine revelation to either speak this or a plan of healing. In other words, choose to participate like Daniel and Joseph did in solving the problems of the community of the times and let God will be famous out of that. I mean, he he clearly was famous. He saved a nation. In Daniel, Esther saved a nation by stepping into the same thing. And this is something that Christians woefully lack because for the last 50 years, we've been counseling, don't get, don't talk about government, religion, and get everybody to come to your church. Get back out in the community and ask God, how do you want me to influence this place for the kingdom? That's the best preparation for persecution there is, because you'll fall in love with those people, and you'll fall in love with Jesus at a whole new level. Um, and there are ways to do that, and we're seeing it happen. I mean, I, it's, it's not as far-fetched as people might think. Mm-hmm. And I think I want us all to comment here again, making this real practical as we kind of co- kind of come in for a landing here on this podcast. But Gary, you said several things that spark stuff in my mind. And um, I, uh, I just want to say, just cookies on the bottom shelf for the church. 
if you've not seen Sabina or Tortured for Christ, it's so vital. And I just want to encourage us to drink in the story of the martyrs or those that paid a price, or like Daniel that did not get martyred, but he did find himself confronting uh, the, the officials as well as he found himself in a lion's den. I mean, this is not shallow end of the pool stuff, even though God protected him in that. This is like this is like serious stuff. But just to really drink in the biblical stories. And um, I think, too, I would want to suggest whether it's a, a pastor listening to this and in terms of uh, preaching some emphasis on this message or it's a small group leader or whatever, but we don't shy away from these things. But if you will stop and help your uh, small group or church or Christian friends, whoever realized the theme throughout the entire New Testament of suffering and persecution, it's powerful. Like, yeah, we think of the themes of the New Testament as um, as the Messiah and faith, hope, and love. And, and of course, those are the mega themes. But I'm saying it's also a very significant theme, actually starting where you started, John, with the Beatitudes. Um, you know, we often emphasize the first handful of Beatitudes, but then we get to that la- the end of the Beatitudes, and we kind of just gloss over the persecution where Jesus says, this is another way to be blessed. Yeah. And he said not to look at it in the, the light that I think typically we are looking at it in America's version of Christianity, which is to run away from it at all costs. Okay, but if you continue on, obviously, through the Gospels, how many times did the Pharisees say, or they, it says they were planning to kill him, and Jesus found himself being contested. The, the founder of Christianity finds himself on the cross. Okay, so then, you know, you go through Acts. The book of Acts is filled with... Uh, them being in prison, uh, the, the apostles, other Christians, as well as a great persecution breaking out in Acts chapter 8 throughout all of Jerusalem in that area. And then there's martyrs in the book of Acts, but just, again, you can dial into to Paul's epistles, and Paul gets very transparent about what he had been through. And he's obviously God's man for that day and hour, but he also had to go through what we're talking about today. And, um, you know, the whole book of First Peter um, is uh, revolves around this theme of persecution, this fiery ordeal that's going on. Um, probably First Peter has spoken to me more in the last um, in the last uh, a couple of years than any other book in the Bible. And of course, you get to Revelation, and the churches are being called to be overcomers. Well, why <laughs> why are you called to be an overcomer? In some of those churches, it's very clear that they're being persecuted. But all the churches, all seven of those churches, are called to be overcomers. It's because well, there's actually something to overcome, and it often comes through opposition. So, anyway, there's all of this going on, and um, you know, I just think of just practically again for the body of Christ to not um, pass over this theme in the Scripture, but to embrace it as well as these other historical examples. And John, John, just help us here. Just any final practical uh, advice you have? Yeah, I mean, of course. Um... Exactly what Gary said, be a, be a prayerful person and, of course, be in the Word for yourself. Don't just let someone else summarize. That, those two are the critical things. But I'm also really encouraged by testimonies and by stories like Richard and Sabina's. And it's when I hear other people and, and when I realize they did it, I mean, I hope that in some way, if my moment comes or my family, that, that their testimonies well up in my memory. Um, we did a six-week study guy group video um, called Sabina Group Study, where we interviewed six or seven modern women whose stories are, like you use the word now, they're now stories in our day. Uh, and, and that's a six-week study for churches. You know, I don't own it. I'm not 
advertising for some product, but I did, you know, work on it and make it. And it's it gives us testimonies of these women, and it gets us sort of to take us a, a six week journey to prepare ourselves alongside amazing stories of incredible women who have severely had this kind of testing in their life. I mean, severely. Um, and somehow there's still this joy and this passion and something infectious about their faith. And uh, I can't get enough of that. Hmm. Great stuff. And Gary, Gary, anything else? Uh, final word. I guess my encouragement to the body is learn how to contend with God. I know that the body spends a lot of time wanting to dispense angels. They want to cast Satan out. And Jesus never once contended with Satan from the garden forward. He was always focused on words with his father. And we're in an hour where darkness has been given permission by the father. It's useless to contend with Satan. And he said, I could have called down 10 legions from heaven, but he didn't. It's time to people to learn how to live as sons, what we call the weos, sons of God, who know how to steward the kingdom at a level with that they are really being treated with the authority of a true son of the king. And that means you you have intimacy with the Father that's available to you in this hour that very few Christians know how to tap into. And I think that work on it. I didn't know how to do it. I, I just began to press into God and he began to reveal things. To, he showed me how much he loved me. And that love comes with something you give back to him. It's the desire to love him back. I mean, there's mm. nothing greater than that. And you mm. learn to live in that regardless of what's going to happen to you. But you're not going to fight against and change what the Word of God has written. All these, every jot and tittle is going to get fulfilled. And to spend time rebuking Satan and all this other stuff, to me, at this hour, at one time it can be good, but it's not useful in the hour of darkness. That's why he told Judas in the garden, it's your hour, go do what you must do. In other words, there is a time when Satan will be, God will permit Satan to accomplish certain things. And Think about it. If you don't think that's true, then read the, at the end of the thousand years of Christ's reign, Satan is released from the pit, and he still gets the nations to grow up against Christ. So who released him from the pit? God did. So you have to understand that there's in play here a plan that God has that's going to be glorious in his culmination, but you've got to realize you're helpless without the king and without a relationship with the Father in this hour. That's just powerful. Thanks, Gary. And thanks, John. Thank you, John, for joining us. It's been great to have you for the first time. Yeah, it's super nice to meet you guys. And I just appreciate what you're doing and the work you put in and uh, pray a blessing on your efforts. And blessing on you, John, as well. And I just want to turn to the camera. I've never done this before, ending one of these podcasts, but I just want to talk to you on this. God has been speaking to me about persecution and suffering for over two years. And part of seeing the movies, Sabina, Torture for Christ, reading Richard's books, etc., it's pretty much all happened in that time frame the last two years. And I'm asking you to not run from these topics or even minimize these topics. I'm asking you to please drink in these stories and learn all that you can because of where America is right now, because of where the world situation is right now, because where we are likely with the eschatological time frame, I'm asking you to embrace these stories 
um, the, the movies we talked about here, the biblical examples. Read the whole New Testament through the lens of what does this teach me about suffering for Christ. We've got to stop running from this topic. We've got to get low before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me everything, because whatever comes, I want to be ready. And I've also never done this before. We're actually going to stop right now. We're actually going to pray, and I'm going to pray for all of us. And let's do that before we close this podcast. Father, we do humble ourselves before you, Lord. You know the future. We do not. You give us a glimpse, but Lord, we know that every indicator indicates this is going to get much more difficult before it would ever get easier. And part of me believes it won't even get easier until Jesus' return. So, Lord, I pray for all of us, God. Help us, Lord, to have the grace, the understanding, even the grace of the the self-discipline kind of grace to move forward, Lord God. Strengthen us, God. Help us to have the love of Christ that compels us, that Paul talked about, that can compel us through anything. Lord, I pray, God, that we would have our hearts and eyes on you, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord. Um, for the various scriptures, as we've highlighted here, but others that say that blessed are you for being persecuted, insulted, etc. God, thank you, Lord, that we receive your will, um, not as the worst thing possible. We receive your will as a blessing, as the best thing possible, even if it is a very difficult thing for us to hear in the short term. So we thank you, Lord. We lift up Uh, We lift up ourselves, our friends, our families, God, and ask you to teach us the way forward. In Jesus' name. 